Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 1. I'm your host, James Laidler, Australian poet and writer. In this episode, we'll be jumping in the deep end and trying to stay afloat in the deep currents of the poem Not Waving But Drowning by Stevie Smith. Under the surface of this gently rhymed and short poem lies danger. Under the surface, a deadly undertow lies in wait ready to drag the unexpected reader down into a sunken world of miscommunication and drowned lives. This is a poem where the reader can't just enjoy the view from the beach and then safely swim between the flags. No, this poem pleasantly invites you in to swim only to then drag you out to sea, making you swim hard against the current back towards the shore. But enough of me drowning you in waves of words. Let's take a listen to the poem, shall we? May I present Not Waving But Drowning by Stevie Smith, read by the fabulous Lucy Freeman. Not Waving But Drowning by Stevie Smith. Nobody heard him, the dead man, but still he lay moaning. I was much further out than you thought, and not waving, but drowning. Poor chap, he always loved larking, and now he's dead. It must have been too cold for him, his heart gave way, they said. Oh, no, no, no. It was too cold always, still the dead one lay moaning. I was much too far out all my life, and not waving, but drowning. Now, before analysing this poem, I want to pause to say a few words about the poet herself. Stevie Smith was a British poet who lived from 1902 to 1971. Her poetic style was known for its unsettling mixture of darkness and light. As such, while Smith often explored rather bleak and depressing subject matter, most of her poems were written in a light, musical sort of manner. This particular poem is a good case in point. Published in a collection by the same name in 1957, Not Waving But Drowning is Smith's most popular and well-known poem. Smith often accompanied her poems with simple line drawings, and the drawing that goes with Not Waving But Drowning shows a woman with a vague expression on her face, not dissimilar to the ambiguous look of the Mona Lisa. 
The drawing, therefore, is the first clue that points to the poem's concern with the disparity between inner feelings and outwards appearance. The disconnection between how someone feels on the inside and how others perceive them is an age-old subject for literature and philosophy. The concealment of emotion is nothing new, and the poem gives a sense that the dead man has been putting on a brave face throughout his life. In English society, the widespread belief that showing a stiff upper lip was a kind of social virtue plays into this situation which Smith is essentially critiquing. Of course, while today people may be more encouraged and thereby inclined to speak about their emotions, suffering in silence still remains extremely common in today's world. Furthermore, given the poem's possible interpretation as being about the pain and isolation of mental illness, it's worth noting that Smith herself suffered from depression and had a morbid fascination with death for much of her life. Now, our appreciation and understanding of a poem, goes without saying, can be greatly enhanced when we take a close look at the technical aspects of a poem, such as its form, metre and rhyme scheme, or even its narrative point of view. The question of who is speaking is one of the most fascinating aspects of not waving but drowning. The poem begins with a third-person view of events as a dead man is observed lying, moaning and unheard. After these initial few lines, however, the narration morphs into the dead man himself when he uses the personal pronoun I to propel the story forward. Then, a bit later on, without warning, the, the poem switches back to a he, as in line five. Poor chap, he always loved larking. But wait, there's more. The poem continues with its chameleon escapades. After the use of he, a uh, they appears in line 8, as in, it must have been too cold for him, his heart gave way, they said. The suggestion here appears to point to a gathering of people on the shore where the man died, or who were attending his funeral, or just a kind of mix of people who knew him through his life. And finally, in the last stanza, the poem returns to first person. Are you perplexed? Disorientated? Confused? Well, I kind of think that that's the intended effect Smith has tried to create in the reader. In switching up the voices of the poem, Smith, she's toying with the reader's comprehension, changing tack like a sailboat on an ocean of ideas with very little warning or ceremony. Why? Well, perhaps because it helps the reader to experience the inherently unstable nature of communication in the poem, which mirrors the unstable nature of communication that people can actually experience in life, which can cause them to drown in a sea of their own isolation. Added to this, there is something that feels quite general about the dead man's own words in the final stanza. 
Even though they seem to be coming from one individual, it's as though these words actually apply more widely to humans in general than to one specific individual. In other words, through the dead man's final utterances, we are given a declaration about the universal experience of disconnection people encounter in life between their inner realities and their outward expressions. Moving on to the form of the poem, as with most of Stevie Smith's poetry, not waving but drowning, hides complicated and disturbing revelations beneath the surface of a rather simplistic poetic form. This innocent-looking poem contains 12 lines divided equally into three dainty four-line stanzas. The apparent mismatch between the disturbing subject matter and the quaint poetic form like the changing narrative voices in the poem, help to highlight the miscommunication and misunderstanding that is so central to the poem's thematic concerns. As for the poem's meter, just like with the narrative point of view and the form, what we can say about the meter is that it is mixed and unstable, never quite settling into a regular rhythm. Its lack of strict meter reflects the poem's conversational casual tone, a tone that is once again distinctly at odds with the dark subject matter at hand. In a similar way, the rhyme scheme used in Not Waving But Drowning also has a similar effect. While the rhymes are gentle and pleasant on the ear, roughly delivering a playful vista of sounds, in sitting Beside disturbing subject matter, they create a kind of uncomfortable dissonance in the reader. The way that the rhymes chime together in themselves are a kind of larking of playful sounds in a rather carefree manner. This love of larking, of course, is something that the dead man strongly denies. He feels he was misunderstood all his life and is even misunderstood still in death. Thus, as a whole, it is important to note that the form meter, the rhyme scheme and the constantly shifting narrator's point of view in the poem serve to unsettle the reader and create a sense of tension. And this tension reflects the disconnection that commonly occurs between people's inner lives and their outward facades. So I want to talk here about one of the main themes of the poem, which centres around the idea of miscommunication in human relations, and how this lack of communication can lead to mental breakdown. As I've already pointed out, a playful and light-hearted tone disguises the heavy subject matter in Not Waving But Drowning. On the surface, the, the poem is about a man who drowns because his movements are mistaken for friendly waving by people back on shore. But Seen as an analogy, the poem is really pointing to the pain of being misunderstood in life, especially when human communication fails. The poem begins with the dead man, who has just drowned, but strangely, even paradoxically, he is still moaning or crying out in anguish, though no one, except of course for the reader, can hear him. From the get-go, then, the poem places the breakdown in communication at the centre stage of the poem. 
As we've already seen, the poem moves between pronouns throughout its structure, referring to the dead man in the third person before switching over to the first person, I, back and forth over and over again. The poem is intentionally ambiguous and unreliable, underscoring its argument about the way communication works, or more accurately, doesn't work. If the I used in the poem is coming from the dead man himself, then he is somehow commenting on his life from beyond the grave. And he explains that his own death was, in part, caused by this kind of failure to be understood. He was far out in the water and calling for help from an unsympathetic world. But because they thought he was playing around, no one tried to save him. There's a total disconnect between the message that the man intended to send and the one that people actually received. And this points to the fact that in our world today, we all wear masks sometimes to the point where they become glued to our faces and actually can't be removed. The ironic thing here is that this man might have seemed totally happy from the outside. After all, he supposedly loved Larkin, but inside he actually felt completely disconnected from those in his life. Communication failed to bridge this gap. His actions made people think he was happy when actually he was close to death. There is a strong argument here that people should strive to listen to others more intently because the poem seems to be suggesting that this kind of miscommunication, disconnection is common. Perhaps even that failing to be understood by others is sadly a central part of being alive. Closely related to the poem's thematic treatment of communication and misunderstanding is its potential allusion to mental illness. That is, the poem can be taken as an allegory for the specific suffering and trauma of diseases like depression, which make the man feel like he is drowning, yet unable to effectively ask for help. It's worth noting here that Smith herself struggled with depression for much of her life, and her own experiences likely informed the poem. The man's mistaken gestures here can be interpreted as suggesting that there is often a clear divide between appearances and reality, between how people dealing with such illnesses are feeling internally and how they present themselves to the world. In this poem, Stevie Smith shows us that the waters of life are deep and often treacherous, especially for those swimming alone without the support of others. Keeping your head above water is always a challenge, and we all know how difficult it is to stay afloat. This powerful poem points to our shared humanity and calls us to become lifesavers, I think. We all need to be willing to play our part manning the lookout towers of life, keeping surveillance for signs of trouble on the horizon. Instead of thinking of others as afterthoughts or as poor chaps whose lives don't warrant our true attention, we should always strive to be aware of the precious human lives that surround us every day. With that said, it's time for me to wrap up this episode and say goodbye. Of course, if you want to access further resources on poetry or support our work, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. 
or simply subscribe to our podcast. A video clip of this poem is now live on our YouTube channel as well. We'll finish with one last listen to the poem read by the fantastic Lucy Freeman. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Not Waving, But Drowning by Stevie Smith Nobody heard him, the dead man, but still he lay moaning. I was much further out than you thought, and not waving, but drowning. Poor chap, he always loved larking, and now he's dead. It must have been too cold for him, his heart gave way, they said. Oh, no, 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 it was too cold always. Still the dead one lay moaning. I was much too far out all my life, and not waving, but drowning. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.